0: In a world gone mad, the crazy people might just know what to do. Welcome to Mad Practice, sanity skills for crazy times. I'm J.D.
1: And I'm Cole. We're so glad you're here, wherever you think you are. Hi, Cole. Hey, J.D. How are you, How are you doing?
0: <clears throat> well, I'm... Uh... I'm looking forward to uh, chatting today. I, I'd say it's um, "How are you doing?" is a very complicated question today. How about you?
1: I've, I I struggle to answer it as well. I you know I think my knee jerk response right now is like not great doing doing. <laughs> I'm very I'm 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 feeling overwhelmed just with life. You know the just it's there's just too much and and I feel like I'm compromised on like every angle like every you know every different role like we all have all these different life roles we play right and right now simultaneously my role as a parent my role as a partner my role as a co-worker and boss at work my role as a friend my role as a a a community member in activist circles like all of these right now feel like they could really use 100% attention like they like there's there's big need on all of those fronts and w- which means it's like major compromises on on all fronts you know right now my my uh in Alberta schools are closed so my kids at home and my daughter joined us for a, a meeting yesterday and was part of a, another meeting today. And, and so like I'm there with kindergarten, my wife and I are doing a, it's like a, a, a marathon relay race. It's like a, a relay race sprint, but instead of a hundred meters each, it's just infinite. And so, so I, I just feel like it's just too much. It's like everything feels like too much and I'm not doing well, but on the other side, I also feel like I'm doing great in in like, you know, the what feels like 20 hour 20 waking hours a week. Or a week. 20 waking hours a day. <laughs> I'm I'm doing a lot and I'm doing I'm doing a, a lot of things pretty well. Doing a lot of other things less than pretty well. But like it, it's just there's just no, I just don't have any clarity or like even little bit of distance from like the minute to minute, like what's happening to, to know how I'm doing other than feeling like, I don't know if if someone's like caught in an avalanche, do they ever stop to be like, I'm surviving this. I'm doing like, aren't I strong? I haven't (laughs) suffocated yet. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well while also, you know, tumbling down a mountainside covered in snow. That's uh, yeah. That's that's the that's the only answer I can give right now.
0: It's a pretty great answer.
1: Do you want to take a, a run at a, a complex answer? I'm I'm here for that. Uh,
0: uh, about how I how I'm doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am really appreciating hearing the word overwhelm, and I'm I'm very conscious of <laughs> as you talked, you know, because I love and I care for you. I can really feel. <laughs> and know how much of a caring person you are and how hard you try and, and all these different things you have to answer to. And, and I can, even just hearing it, I, I'm like, right, this is just life. This is, this is why we're friends so that I can't, I can't actually pull you out of that avalanche right now, but I can, I can remind you that you're still breathing. In fact, it's not an avalanche. You are standing upright, your family's there, your friends are there, your work is there, everybody's there. That blinding snow feeling is like what I relate to as the fear of not not being together. And I think it's part of, uh, for me, my stigma around having mental health diagnosis is that sometimes I actually have a higher expectation of myself than, than people who have not been diagnosed, right? Because I, I think I have got to keep it together. Like the slightest sign of not being able to handle things. I'm doing a lot of bunny ears. I know we're on a podcast, but handle things and keep it together. And so even hearing you, I was like, right. I haven't stopped to recognize the emotion and it's overwhelm. It's just overwhelm. And that how I think part of our friendship. And part of what we're saying about mental health is sharing from that place so that I can feel empathy for you, but also recognizing myself. And it happens to be one of those days where we're in similar places, but I actually hadn't named it yet. My circumstances are slightly different than yours, but it is very much a feeling like I just, I, I, I I am overwhelmed and by hearing you say it, I immediately want to just say, Cole, you're so all right. Don't worry, bud. It's all right. It's just one of those days. And then I recognize, I have to say that to myself, that, you know, it's, um, you know, it's about walking with fear, you know, when you've experienced those big shifts in mental health. And sometimes when even things start to feel a little overwhelming, it's really one of the great things about this friendship that we can check in and kind of not fall into the fear And I think I've shared before about, for me, it's about learning to distinguish between fear and danger. Mm -hmm. And so just hearing you, I was like, all right, I have a little bit of fear that I'm dropping some balls that are important to me, but I'm not really, I'm not really dropping any balls. I'm just, I have some boundaries. I have some limits today. I don't like having limits. It scares me that if I have limits with people I love, they're going to go away for good, but that's not true. It's not always going to be like this, but it's a really busy week. And most of, like what you said, is really good. And I'm getting a lot done. In fact, I had a meeting with my uh, manager yesterday who uh, manages my shows and my workshops and things. And we were going through (laughs) everything that is coming up. And, you know, they were able to go, that's a lot. You're doing great. And I was like, right. Why don't I clock that? So fascinating. And to just stay with myself with curiosity and go, huh, I still really do. I think because of stigma, look for what I'm missing or what I'm not doing right and forget to take that time in my field notes, even in my in my journaling or my sometimes when I remember I try to do three things at the end of the day that I did well, Mm -hmm. because it can go so quickly into uh the things that I'm not doing well. So even showing up, you know, like having places to show up like this. Today was that. It was like, I I don't want to, I can't do that. And then I was like, oh, it's cool. And our producer Camille. And we'll do it. We'll meet each other where we are and and do it. So I too am feeling overwhelmed and not to be too cute with the segues, but I know we're talking about empathy today. So I do, I do uh I do feel great empathy for you in your situation and, and dare I say even a little empathy for myself.
1: Yeah. Thank you. And likewise, and I think that is one of the, I think that's a great segue, like just cute enough. Not, not too cute. Just cute enough. Good job. <laughs> Where um one of the outcomes or one of the nice effects of empathy can, can be, kindness towards ourselves you know like like seeing like cuz i feel the same way you know if i it's that like what advice would i give to my friend who just gave me the same spiel that that i gave you you know like what 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 kind of care would i advise them or or, or hope that they take care, they take for themselves you know not empathy isn't and shouldn't always be self self-serving like that, but it's but it's part of the part of the circle I think part of the 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 practice of empathy can be like, yeah, empathizing with your own state, empathizing with your own needs. treat yourself like a, like a friend that you care about, you know.
0: Yeah because when we we look at the dic- uh, dictionary definition, the the old school, I think we've been using Oxford, the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. And then the Medium article, which is a little bit more updated, is understanding and entering into another's feelings. And I have sure had relationships with both those definitions in an ongoing way, because I, I am called an empath, you know, very often. It's been officially discussed and unofficially discussed. But from the time I was very young, it wasn't easy for me to enter spaces or enter conversations and not... Take on another person's feelings, which I think is, um, I think now is a very positive thing. You know, I think I, that's something I really love about myself. But it's been because I think we're in a world where there's a lot of fear around that and a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of pathology around that idea, right? That if I hear you, like I, I felt tears coming because I know you so well, because I, I know your wife, I know I saw your daughter just, I saw your wife and daughter just yesterday on a zoom call. And I know the very real, the beautiful struggle of love, the beautiful struggle of family, which is not what we're, you know, really shown in anything, you know, it's either a completely dysfunctional family or uh, Walt Disney family. And so, you know, when you were talking, I was like, oh, you know, You've heard me talk before like I think the mental health system should be like I should be able to come to Calgary right now and park a tiny house in a field and then maybe you can come for a couple of days and and I help Ellen with Maggie and then maybe Ellen gets a couple of days and you get your meals and everybody gets to reset you know because it it's um it's precisely this idea that we're not supposed to be overwhelmed and and then this idea of you know feeling that in other people having the ability to you know give a little space like i don't know about you but sometimes it even just helps to you know when i heard you it's like i really want you to know that i hear you i hear you <laughs> like that's a lot and and yeah so it's like it's like this idea that if we were in person I, I probably would have cried because I just would feel that space between us, but not like sob, just like, wow, Cole is such a good person and life can be so hard sometimes. And maybe there's not anything I can do for my friend right now, except listen and be there and just keep sending love. Maybe that's all I can do, except to say, I have an enormous faith in you. Sometimes I think friendship and empathy is about knowing your history of dealing with overwhelm before and knowing that you'll, you're will you fine, you'll be fine.
1: Yeah, thank you. You know, something I've been really just conscious of and, and grappling with the last couple of weeks during this, you know, this, um, like right now in Alberta, we're in a, a new mode of restrictions and schools are closed and things like that. And yeah, this this sense of overwhelm that we have in my house but being like having having the empathy and having the awareness and understanding that like that how you know say my wife and I are feeling is true and valid and like i think fair while also empathizing with you know right now just in in my daughter's class there's 20 families or 25 families in her school there's a few hundred families in in my city there's tens of thousands of families who are all going through their version of this and knowing that like our version is all told like pretty good you know we we my wife and i both are employed like we both have jobs that allow us to work from home and and we both have we both you know need to work those jobs and we have a a spreadsheet of hours where uh you know to get in two full-time jobs and full-time parenting just means working Evenings and weekends until until Maggie goes back to school, and we have one kid at home who's in kindergarten, which does mean she needs she she's not really independent uh, doing doing most things, and so that's our situation. And I know that compared, like in the in the 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 mix of the thousands of families who are in a similar situation, like ours is pretty good, and that there are other families that. Um, have a much more complex or challenging time particularly <clears throat> thinking of single parent families or families where where some of the parents or the parent has to work outside you know Maggie is is a a very you know happy happy five-year-old who kindergarten is kind of designed for like their design it's kindergarten as we know it generally is designed for a kid like Maggie and there are kids who who are not in that, in that mode of everything is kind of built for kids like them and have a much more complex time getting educated um and getting everything out of school that that kids like Maggie gets and so there are families like that all around us and what i struggle with is you know empathy i often find is not the end is not an end point em- empathy in and of itself is not what i care about as much as empathy as a path towards Choices and values and actions and connection and and like how I show up in relationships and how I show up in my community, and so so my awareness of of other of other families and what what they are potentially going through, I feel, but I also feel pretty unable right now to to show up in different ways outside of my house, outside of my family, and my existing relationships, and my existing commitments. You know, how to be a part of a school community where we've never met each other. Like, as parents of of kids who go to school together, because of COVID, like, we, I've never been in the school. Uh, you know, even like dropping her off or picking her up, like, we're, we're asked to make that as quick as possible. There's no, there's no hanging around and, and chatting in the schoolyard. It's like, get in and out, no, you know, as, as little contact or gathering as possible. And so, yeah, how to, how to be in this mode uh, and just feeling uh, just really, you know, um, guilty or ineffectual or like it as, as part of a school community in this, in this situation and, and other communities and other groups that we may belong in. And, and I find just my own selfish experience right now is like empathy isn't helping me that much because it, it's making me more aware of the need that I'm not being a part of serving.
0: Yeah, that's really, uh, yeah, that's really, uh, yeah, a, a very good uh, slice or example window into all the strange experiences that will be accumulated by society after we get through this time, you know, very strange, you know, like things that we, so many things that we took for granted and that we're all suffering, but there's varying degrees of that, like we've talked about before. And I think with, with this empathy, sometimes it's like, when I hear you speak, I I think, you know, sometimes it's about self-acceptance, accepting my capacity, you know, and, and that's difficult because I think that we're both the kind of people that uh, because we're prone to empathy, <laughs> we, we are both in our lives, uh, in our creative lives and in our activist lives, which often merge trying to figure out what to do, how to be part of the solution. And so sometimes when it it's about, and I do think this is a super important mad practice, is sometimes it's about getting back to the farm or the Welsh. It's time to return to my trees or resetting or, you know, getting back to basics and the self-care that that's required. So it's like, I'm feeling all these things. It's true. Everybody, everybody right now in varying degrees is dealing with very strange situations and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear and a lot of, you know, what essentially what feels like uh, perpetual anxiety, whether people recognize that or not. And so as, you know, I think this was one of the answers why we wanted to do this, that the idea of you can live with perpetual anxiety for a really long time, but you might need to get a sense of humor about it. You might have to practice some self-acceptance about limitations, which for me is difficult. You might have to like let go of the hero's journey storyline for life. You know, that you're going to be a a father of a kindergarten person and you're going to you know, recognize that in the pandemic, everyone's fractured and you're going to think of the thing that keeps everybody together and you will be the guy who figures it all out. And I, I think whether we know it or not, we run those things, those expectations in our head. And really, the story is much more circular, almost like a vortex right now for everybody. You know, we're just sort of taking care of business, taking care of each other. And then it's down the tube, it's down the rabbit hole, and then we're up again. And I think the only difference between people that have diagnosed mental illness and have learned strategies to cope with it is that we know which way the vortex is going and we know some of the things that we have to do. I think the hardest part is that we're all in the vortex right now. And it feels like a betrayal, you know, but there's no one to blame. (laughs) You know, it feels like this really like this should not be happening or this should not still be happening or whatever those things are. But I know that madness, that's the way madness lies for me. If You know, reality is always going to win. I have a meditation teacher, Mary Stankovich, and uh, we'll put a link to her uh, podcasts at the end. But that's what she talks about. Like no one's going to win a fistfight with reality. You're never going to win. So the work is, you know, to be with and to let go of, what you have to let go of so right now it is kind of back to basics um you know for me like empathy is uh, i can't not feel the weight of the world right now and because of that like you expressed i feel ineffectual i feel like i should be doing more because there's so much grief there's so much overwhelm there's so much fear but then i have to you know then i I think of all the things I am doing and then I have to go, okay, that's enough. And then, you know, it's just true. It's just true. Like today, I've been doing a number of workshops in a row and today I let myself go to the toy store and buy Sesame Street Lego set, which I have been, uh, I put a little aside from every workshop. And I have to tell you the guilt of spending and uh on a Lego set with so many people in need and so many, you know, so, so much suffering in the world. But then I just had to go, all right, (laughs) you are working so hard and this actually relaxes you. And, you know, can we have a little balance here? Could, you know, you're not going out and you don't blow your money. You're very, you know, whenever I use any kind of, um, learning that I find on a blog or anything I always pay a little bit if I use it in a workshop like I'm I think I'm doing all right in terms of thinking of others but the guilt (laughs) that carrying the bag to the car and going oh I should just take it back yeah so before we went on the podcast today I opened the box so that I would not take it back and I built (laughs) the first little bag you know and this will bring me joy, and and this is the other thing about about empathy. I think is that the truth of uh, of all these things. It's it's you know when we talk about field notes, it's because I really understand that it's about my relationship to empathy, your relationship to it's an individual thing. It's not prescriptive, and so something in me recognized. Well, I was very encouraged by a friend. It was not something in me. It was like, would you just go buy the Sesame Street Lego already? I've been talking about it for months. And that I recognize that I'm a little depleted and that I, it's hard for me to relax and it's hard for me to um, give myself joy. And that this does that and that I deserve it. And that will help that empathy move into action later on. But boy, to allow me that. <laughs>
1: I'm glad you allowed yourself that. I'm so happy you got Thank some you. <laughs> some Lego today. I think that is, you know, when we're when, you know, we've talked a lot over the years about self-care as a concept. And, and what what really works for me and what I'm hearing in your story is when, you know, self-care is used in part like, in, uh, again, not an end's in and of itself. It's not it's not just to to make yourself feel good and pampered and, and feeling well, you know, just so that you can be a, a person that feels well. End of story. But when self-care is used to give yourself the fuel or to recharge your batteries, to give yourself the the life force and energy so that you can stay in community, so that you can be in relationship with others, so that you can continue to pay it forward as you're talking about and and keep up your generous spirit. Like that's a like I that to me seems what self-care should be for. And it's not indulgent. It's part of the it's part of the the kind of complexity of of your life and acknowledges that like you give so much of yourself to others and into other spaces that sometimes you need to to fill yourself back up. Yeah. Sometimes with Lego, sometimes with like A bath sometimes with, (laughs) you know, taking it like saying no to a couple of meetings so that you can either go for a nice walk or just like watch, I don't know, reruns of Frasier for a couple of hours, (laughs) whatever, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really, you know, always up against my upbringing, which was self care was uh, just a synonym for selfish, you know, that's Mm -hmm. just, you know, the. The truth there and trying to always see that and understand that self-care and self-regulation has to come before co-regulation. And, you know, just being honest with myself that tonight will be, you know, Lego and, and maybe toast and peanut butter. It's not going to be a lot of cooking tonight. You know, it's going to be a very gentle evening. And that honestly, on a very crass level, that does not make me a bad person. Yeah. But, um, I do. I, I do think it ties into, though, the the idea, the whole idea of, of stigma, you know, because, you know, when I was uh, in periods of, you know, not being able to contribute and having to burrow under and, you know, in at, at points at the roughest times being hospitalized and, you know, needing a lot of care, I still have this idea of having to make up for lost time. I still have this idea that somehow, uh mental illnesses or, or neuro neuro difference is not like a a physical uh, condition that of course, sometimes, you know, if I broke my leg, I would have to take that time to recover, I would have to do my physio, which I've done, I broke my leg on a motorcycle. And, you know, there was no fighting that there was no, I couldn't do anything but take care of the injury. And that's why I, 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 you know, I, I try to remind myself that it's an injury. Uh, you know, I really wish that mental illness was or madness was talked about like brain injury. You know, because so much of it is is that trauma wires our brains in different ways. And so there I am, connecting self care to selfish. Mm-hmm. You know, there I am, very quickly going. I'm a bad person because I'm not uh, contributing, right? And all these ideas of, wait a minute, let's just recognize that thinking, recognize that story, have empathy and compassion for self about why it's there. But then, you know, treat the injury. There's just a little injured today. You know, it's just a little, there's a sprain. There's a sprain in the thinking, you know? The overwhelm is just a slight twist, peculiar mental twist of the brain. And if I can put my feet up tonight, put some ice on that ankle, I'm back at it. But it's remarkable the resistance, uh, and and it's, it's not uncommon in people that are are mad to to feel to that uh, very very deep need to halt, you know, and and shore up and take some time because it, it we fight so hard to get back into the world. I think. It were, there's a big fear about losing our place. Yeah. and I think right now we're in a time where everybody's fighting that. So so hey, if you've got a big craving to go buy some Lego, whatever your Lego is, I, I would like let's let's celebrate that allowing allowing of whatever that is. Fraser, Lego, maybe it's a good drunk uh, and bad sappy jazz music, whatever like maybe we should celebrate just the allowing of that, you know, very real need to let the air out.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, in a couple of, we have on our schedule in a couple of episodes from now, uh, to talk about shame for an episode. And, Mm -hmm. and I think we'll, Mm. we'll come back to, to this topic too, of, of the hangovers of, or the holdovers of, Madness or mental illness diagnoses or things like that, and the sense of of it being a personal failure and the shame that gets attached to that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But for empathy, I have a question for you.
0: Okay, great. I'm
1: wonder- I I was thinking of because I I feel similarly that, you know, in the past few episodes we've often talked about emotions that I feel disconnected from. Uh, but but empathy is an emotion that I feel quite attuned to and and that I feel quite like I feel it quite readily but I was thinking through of some some of the times where I hit what feels like the limits of my empathy and mm. and what the what the process is for pushing past those limits sometimes or if I want to and 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 I think some of the examples I have are things that have that are years in the making of of trying to find the entry points for empathy. So do do you, you, can you think of any, can you think of instances or just general um, experiences or topics that you feel your natural empathy and kind of practiced empathy hitting its limit?
0: Yeah, I think this is is, um, not unlike my sense of humor. (laughs) When this goes, when my humor goes those are big indicators that i am what's the kindest language i have for it i am overwhelmed i am not i am not processing i cannot offer empathy i cannot offer solution i have to take a uh, you know uh, take space i have to take space so empathy shows up the i often I have a relationship that with this coal. I, I, I am smirking. That was my uh, facial expression when you asked me that. Because for me, I have a, a, quite, a, quite a developed skill here of understanding and entering into other people's feelings. But what happens for me is like all of a sudden the gas tank is empty. And then I turn into a very uh, self-centered needing fuel. Like what about me? especially in my most intimate relationships. Like I give and I hear these things (laughs) inside my head. If they get outside my head, it's always not so good. But, you know, what about me? And I try so hard and nobody knows what all the things I live with and all that. So I've been trying, you know, part of my field notes, especially in this last year have been to recognize that as an indicator that it's not that I ever forget that people are as complex as I am, but there are times when I can't make room for someone else's feelings and have to take care of my own. And, and sometimes that means disappointing friends, disappointing, uh, family, you know, like I can't have dinner tonight, but I'm, I'm overwhelmed and learning that I don't have to explain everything is just need a break. But yeah, I I think it's, um, It's a liability uh, if you're a deep feeler that you it's a it's feels like this paradox that you also have a limit. So, you know, I have people who in my life who don't maybe show or feel feelings in the same way as I do that are very deep feelers, but um, it doesn't read. And sometimes, you know, that when I forget that everyone's as complex as I am, uh, I get into trouble. But. But the hardest part for me, Cole, is to is to call the game earlier. So like the clouds are gathering, (laughs) you know, the it's not looking good. Call the game. And I don't want to. I want to be all things to all people. And but the truth is, who can be that? You know, who can be that? And I come from a long history of really strong women who very much uh, skewed towards martyr very much and so i'm always aware that i have that in me and and i don't it's the thing i i struggle it's one of the things i struggle with most like i'm i'm empty i can't i'm not going to be thinking about other people's feelings and so how to call it before i'm empty still really tough Mm -hmm. but one thing that's helping is that i can feel it in my body you know, as I'm, you know, I, I don't know how much we've talked about, um, you know, disassociation and learning that to come back into my body is actually, you know, the work I've been doing so that I can feel it before I can articulate it. I can feel it. I can feel my way into knowing instead of knowing my way into feeling. That's helping a little bit. But this is, this is, this one gets me all the time, Cole. I go and go and go and I get surprised. Yeah. And it's like, What? What did I just think? What did I just say? You know, because I haven't tracked it. <laughs> Not much help to you, my friend. But, but no, <laughs>
1: no, uh, no, <laughs> that's great. And I think, I mean, I feel the same way. I think that, you know, I guess I think of it in a couple of ways. One is with those, yeah, close relationships and intimate relationships, where, yeah, likewise, it's more of it's more of a, a reflection on how I'm feeling. Or how I'm doing relative to you know if in parenting if you know if my wife needs me to take on a bit of a load when it wasn't planned for me to to take on I think most of the time most of the time I'm empathetic towards what she's experiencing and I can I can do it happily um, and sometimes I go like ah like I, I I my my I either skip over my empathy or it's run out or or something and that's just based on the endurance of my own empathy gets tired sometimes. And it is a good thing too. And and but that is something you can remind yourselves of because empathy isn't a non-renewable resource necessarily. You know, like it can, it can, it can stretch further. It can go on when it needs to, but that takes extra work and reminders and and sometimes I am good about reminding myself about that. And sometimes I'm not. Another way I think of it, too, is, you know, the most immediate example I can think of is is in Alberta, across but across the world, seeing the very intense and virulent, like, anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine, anti-mask, I'll just say generally anti, I don't know, COVID? Like, well, we're, we're all anti-COVID, but, like, <laughs> but the folks that are really, really up in arms protesting and variantly opposed to public health measures that I fundamentally am on board with you know how like finding finding entry points for empathy into that experience without just getting angry at them or brushing them off mm-hmm. as as whatever whatever you know kind of dismissive bucket I want to put all of them yeah. in and not think about it anymore in the same way that in the same way that i can imagine a lot of folks doing that to the thousands of people that attended black lives matter marches in in calgary this mm-hmm. year you know that that there are as as many people like me right now who are looking at anti public health restriction protests or rodeos as we've had in in alberta and and like just shaking my head at them and being annoyed and frustrated and just not getting it not not empathizing at all with, with what they're experiencing. I know that there are as many people who had that same response to what what were large public gatherings and protests and rallies and and a movement happening this summer um, around anti racism and and uh, uh, or, or you know when when a lot of the the like activist circles that we're in are advocating for defunding the police. I know a lot of people do not empathize with that position. And 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 are 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 they going to write us and and the activists who are at the forefront of that off or react in in um, opposition to it? And so these empathy gaps I find are that's it's really hard. It's I, I'm finding it really hard for me to empathize with men's rights activists or any number of of what I would call like alt right movements or, or communities. But that feels like a test and a worthwhile way to practice these empathy muscles that that we've built over the years.
0: Yeah. Well, when I hear you speak, I, I'm very aware of you know sh- this difference. You know the because you know it's not about agreeing. Empathy is not about agreeing with opinion. Emp- empathy is not about knowing and an intellectual understanding or relating to. It's about understanding or sharing the feelings. And so sometimes how I get to it, not always, because (laughs) believe me, it's, um, it's a very scary world, you know, like, I think, uh, we'll put a link to this episode of um, the 15 styles of distorted thinking, which are something that, you know, if you if you're mad, you have to, you have to be on these things, like, you know, uh, not because I'm more virtuous than other people, but because I have a very fine line. So if I go into magical thinking, or if I go into uh, black and white thinking, or I go into any of these other styles of distorted, like really believing it's this or that, I can, uh, if I'm not aware, go into a series of behaviors or actions that will end up hurting others, myself and others. So I'm highly motivated not to do that. Um, I also recognize that anger against certain things is correct. But the way I sometimes do it is to, I think to myself, with the you know the men's rights movement. I I think okay, even if they don't admit it, there is some fear there, you know. I've heard I've heard them interviewed and they're like, no, it's not to do with fear. But to me, it is. You know, if you're worried about, you know, I think fear is defined, um, or I've heard it defined as, you know, mostly it's like fear of losing what you already have or not getting what you want. And to me, that's a I think something that came through recovery but that's like a really oversimplified definition but for me it works you know it's like most times when I'm in fear and so I can relate to their fear I can relate to um, you know that they're in distorted thinking like the moment that we think any person is you know and because because I'm mad and you know so often the the portrayals of people with madness are very stereotypical and not complex at all. You know, we either end up killing others or ourselves, essentially, in the media. And that all these things are remembering that there's no right side and there's no wrong side. So the anti-vaxxers, you know, some of the things that they say, you know, I really relate to having had a complex relationship with the pharmaceutical industry. But I also understand that here we are. You know, you can't change reality. So here we are. And I think it is a mad practice to even how we situate this show, even how I situate my other work around uh, mental health and madness. It, I'm not anti psychiatry, I'm not anti medication, but I am, you know, that's not the full picture. And those are individual choices. And let's keep questioning them. Let's keep educating each other. Let's keep really dealing with the realities of what it's like to live in this world and be able to be with our feelings. So it's a difficult place because sometimes in my work, I'll be accused by one side or the other side of being too much of this or too much of that. So I think the reality for me has just been that empathy is, you know, understanding when people talk to me like that, they're Uh, afraid of something. And that if I can open and hear them, the odds are, I'm not going to agree with them, but I can have a bit of a deeper conversation with them. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's very, um, you know, there's, there has been big confrontation about how I represent madness. But I just believe that you and I, and most of the people I know that are in med practice and in disability justice, are not positioning ourselves as experts. You know, we're offering our experience, strength, and hope, our lived experiences, our trials, <laughs> what we tried, what we haven't tried, our reality, so that we empower others to do the same. You know, but I think uh, you know it, it is just that for me, it's like if I forget that someone else is a complex human being, whatever they represent and that they're they have feelings. Then I'm less afraid of them. But you know, I really do think it's a pretty mad world. <laughs> you know, like we yeah. we joke that in these crazy times mad people might just know what to do, right? But I I think we do. We do understand even inside our own brains what it's like to have colliding forces and then have to find our way in the middle of that, to to something, you know, something that I something that um, I think what I mean is something that we can live with and be okay with, you know. Because when you were mentioning kindergarten and and Maggie and that kindergarten is built for Maggie, I know that you and I have talked a lot about. It would be a lot easier if people were from opposite sides of things were were willing to take up space, the space of shared feelings, and talk to each other. That would feel a lot better. And what happens now? And um, I just think we have to just keep trying to to understand that everybody's feeling, and and it it, um, it doesn't mean I agree with them.
1: No, uh, well, yeah, I was just saying, like understanding is not excusing, yeah, um, or allowing. You know, it's not excusing choices or allowing behavior, um, which is also a you know a few pitfalls that I fall into. One is, yeah, in a quest for empathy or understanding, being overly excusing or uh, permissive uh, around behavior. Um, that and also, you know, yeah, like I, I think the men's rights activist space is one that uh, myself and a group of men, mostly in the Calgary theater community have been we have been meeting about as as a, a group of male allies. Uh, trying to address, address, you know, gender-based violence and things like that, have been trying to understand this the men's rights space, and through that process, I also fall into overly oh, like sympathy as opposed to empathy, mm-hmm. where, you know, in in starting to understand some reasons that some guys get into that space, and and I think often are kind of lured into that space, or or there's. <laughs> there's there's bad actors, there's leaders in that space that I have much more difficulty empathizing with who are taking advantage of of some of those complex feelings. um to overly through like sympathy to overly like victimize guys that are in that space or patronize or or act overly paternalistic towards guys like that um, and and take away their agency and and, you know, paint them as, as victims who are kind of seduced into this nasty world, w- yeah. Which again, which is not empathy. Which is you know, which is a different kind of of response of of taking away their agency and choice. Yeah, but that that distinction between understanding and excusing mm-hmm. or offering excuses is a is a is a sneaky one. That one that sneaks into work, especially that I find especially in uh, disability work, disability arts and disability justice, mad arts and things like that all the time of trying to open up space and build build space for shared understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that and me being generally non-confrontational can, can, can really run the risk of, of excusing bad choices or, or excusing particular choices, not necessarily bad, but in ways that yeah, take away the agency and responsibility of individuals.
0: Yeah. And that, you know, it would be lovely, you know, I'm sure Maggie in her kindergarten class has a, most kindergarten classes have a little timeout corner and they have a big chart of emotions and the kids go over and they point to how they're feeling. And then they have a bunch of things that they can sort of self-soothe, you know, little activity choices. And I think that what's so missing in our adult world is that we think we can intellectually understand and we get in these complex spaces and we, we it's just so not allowed to be like, I need a timeout. I gotta, I gotta do my Lego. I'm gonna, you know, me, I carry Popeye cigarettes. I'm going to have a candy cigarettes. I'm going to have a smoke break. Like just that idea that it is difficult, but, but by centering and no one knows what to do. Like sometimes you do and sometimes you don't, but that this, just this idea that, you know, it, it's crazy, but it's true. You know, we are all in this together and we're going to see post-COVID, you know, how much of this lesson actually stuck, you know, and we can see that uh, some some things got very different and it, it felt more like we understand how connected we are. And now we're seeing almost a snapback, you know, of groups going to protect themselves. And, you know, we're these are the times we're in. And I think individually it's going to be like, how do I, you know, how is my relationship with self when I, when I do let someone get away with something, you know, then what, how do I forgive myself and then learn what I got to learn and then approach again, instead of like, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to enter a difficult space. I'm not going to enter a difficult conversation. You know, we talk about it, Cole as like increasing our capacity for uncomfortable feelings. And this idea of, we're never going to get it right because everything is changing so quickly, and every person is complex. And it's like I think if we could just have faith in each other a little bit, you know. I was reading in the book Cast that we'll we'll put a link to, and um, but um, she was just talking about you know uh, it, the book is about talking about race in America as caste, um, like in India, and the reality of uh, white men in a certain age group committing suicide over the years in, in such great numbers that the medium age for death in America fell because of that. And her writing about like, this is also a fact. So these, these white men were afforded, were sold the, the, the belonging of being white and told that meant certain things. And, and then in circumstances where they saw people of color and women, Taking those opportunities from them and feeling such despair that they left. So, how do we address? They left the earth, you know, they left their lives. So, how do we address that very real reality that there was a, <laughs> a bill of goods sold, and that in fact, the enemies, the forces against them are not what they think they are, but this idea of being in a privileged class because of the color of their skin is what was sold to them, you know, and not, how do we have those conversations? Not through academia, (laughs) right. But to each of the, so in that book, I got a a very, I I hadn't thought of that before. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't Mm -hmm. thought of that very real thing that happened in America and, and the trickle down effect of thinking that you are part of a, privileged elite and being pushed off the table again and again and again. Um, And, and believing it's because of this, but not, but not sort of anyway, fascinating, fascinating. And um, I'm really looking forward to getting to my Lego in about three minutes. (laughs) That's going to be my self care for the day, but we will put that link to the cast book and also to the distorted thinking. And how about you, Cole? What are you going to do? right after this
1: um well so where where i am right now is at uh my office at inside out theater in calgary uh because shortly before uh we were going to record i realized i had left the microphone for the podcast at the office and i live i live uh usually about a a 20 minute bike ride away and i made uh, turned it into a 10 minute bike ride to get here um, and kind of flew in out of breath uh, (laughs) and then couldn't find a particular adapter to get my microphone hooked into my computer and it and it it felt very stressful and so I think what I have room for today is to take a a slow maybe it'll be a 25 minute maybe a 30 minute bike ride home I think I can I can slow down and and ride my bike home at a, a pace that does not make me (laughs) <laughs> like huff and wheeze when I walk into my house, because uh, I'll get home and start making supper. Um, and so I, what I'll try to do after this is to slow it down a bit and enjoy my bike ride home. I think I'll find a podcast to listen to and and try to listen to it while riding alongside the river, nice and slowly.
0: Nice. I was picturing you going to the river because I was going to say... The ducklings are here in Vancouver, and the goslings, and I know uh, spring comes a little later to Calgary, but I wonder if they're out there at Princess Island yet.
1: Yeah, they may be. We're in, a, we're in our kind of what feels like, hopefully, knock on wood, our first sustained stretch of spring here in Calgary, so I'll keep my eyes out for some little birds.
0: Some little little ducks, never heard anybody. Little, little duckling viewing. Yeah, always good.
1: Well, JD, enjoy your Lego, and thanks for this chat. I, you know, just the last thing to say is is, as um, as this podcast is happening, part of me, you know, imagines who's listening to this, and I and I appreciate the chance for JD. What feels like you and I just talking to each other, which which leaves me much more comfortable exploring ideas that that I don't have clear clear answers on and when we were planning this episode i thought empathy i was like oh yeah Uh, empathy i i know that one that's fine fear anger sadness (laughs) i don't know i don't i I don't have a great i don't have a great history with those emotions that's going to be rough but empathy no problem but but this is the one that actually feels one of the more complex and it's also maybe just my mind today is is all over the place but i really appreciate A chance to talk this through and i i just hope that whoever ends up listening to this empathizes with how you and i are sitting with these complex feelings right now um and it's been a chance for for them to maybe slow down in the way that i hope to in a few minutes and think it through on their own so thanks to you jd and thanks for anybody who's still listening to this right now
0: And if you are listening, like it's it's all I think, you know, mad practice is about reclaiming the full spectrum of our emotions, not as things that are wrong with us, but as things that are part of our human experience. And and I always feel that after talking with you, Cole, so appreciate it. And thanks to Camille, our producer, and talk to you both soon.
1: Okay. see you, buddy. Thank you for listening. If our brains are making sense to your brains, there are a couple of ways you can help us out. Connect us with more people. If there are folks in your life who you think would enjoy spending some time with us, please pass this along to them. And, and I know you hear it on every podcast, but liking, subscribing, reviewing on whatever platform you're listening to makes a huge difference, especially in these early days and if you'd like you can support us with a little bit of money on patreon just visit patreon.com slash mad
0: big thank yous to camille craig for producing and composer dana ayotte for our fabulous theme song if you'd like to learn more about us or our work head to madpractice.org and chat with us on twitter and instagram but most importantly take care of yourself and each other love you cole love you jd love you cole love you jd